Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. You know, I don't know, how many of you grew up in church? You grew up in some kind of religious tradition? Yeah. Well, I did too. And I don't know if your experience was like mine, per se, but um, in the church, in the environment I grew up in, there were certainly some um, rules, some regulations, some traditions, some strongly suggested modes of behavior, I guess you would say, where I grew up. See, where I grew up, the women were not allowed to wear pants to church. Some of you may remember that. Um, and, And I heard this phrase a lot. How can Christian rock be Christian? As if a beat can be a believer. And I remember going to student camp as a teenager in the dead heat of summer in Oklahoma for a week, and we were not allowed to wear shorts. And, yeah, and heaven forbid that there would be mixed bathing. You know what that is? That is where the guys and the girls swim in the same swimming pool at the same time wearing swimsuits. And we just had a beach retreat. Things have changed. (laughs) And I remember not being able, or at least... It was frowned upon to go to the senior prom because there was dancing. And so there were all these things that that were kind of added to Scripture in a sense and were strongly suggested that we live by this this way of living. And what I found was that I, I grew up, and by the time I became an adult, I felt like that in order to be a really good Christian... In order for, for God to really love me and to accept me, I had to perform. I had to uphold all the rules and all the regulations. I had to, I had to fit this, this good Christian boy model, and I had to fall in line with that. Otherwise, God wouldn't love me like I'd want him to love me, and I wouldn't be accepted by the people around me. Maybe you can relate to some of that. As I got older... And I began to be exposed to different ministries and began to actually read scripture for myself. I began to realize that there was actually freedom in my faith. And that, that God did, did not send Jesus to, to die and, and for us to add a lot to it. But the gospel message was actually a freeing message. And that is what we find in the book of Galatians. Over the past several weeks, we've been studying this book of Galatians, which was written, a letter written by Paul to this early church in Galatia that was struggling with their freedom. They had accepted Jesus and realized that he came to die for their sins, but there was this group of people, they were called the Judaizers, who were coming in and were confusing things and saying, well, it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. You also have to uphold all the tenets of the old Jewish law. It's Jesus plus the law. It was a performance-based faith. You've got to work to earn God's approval and his acceptance and his forgiveness in your life. And Paul writes this letter to the church and to all of us to expose the error of this thinking. And he tries to blow this mentality out of the water. In fact, if you read in Galatians 5, I love how Paul says it. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see, I found in my own life that this constant 
working, trying to be the best musician, trying to be the best student, trying to be the best speaker, trying to, to just be the best person and, and never failing it and, and upholding all the rules, it was, it, was, it was heavy. It was a yoke, and it was wearing me down, and I was not as effective in my faith as God intended me to be. And so Paul speaks to the Galatian church about this. And over the past several weeks, we've been learning about what it means to live out our freedom. And we learned also that it doesn't mean there's this license to sin and to do whatever we want. But through our relationship with Jesus, the Spirit of God gives us the wisdom and direction through his word, through his spirit, as to how we should live out certain areas of our lives and the the guidelines and the guardrails that we may need to put into our lives. And we learned what it means to deny the flesh and to walk and to keep in step with the Spirit of God and embracing our freedom, which brings us to today. Here we are, a group of believers who realize that the true gospel, the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus was enough. That Jesus died to forgive us, to give us a new identity, and to accept us completely, no matter what we do. And here we are, we're embracing this. And Paul gives us a very stern warning. And he says something that you might not expect. I mean, for me, when you really look at it, it kind of comes out of the blue. You read it and you go, oh, what? What does that have to do with anything? Well, let me read to you what he says. It's found in the last verse of chapter 5. He says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us not become conceited. Now, why in the world would he say that? I mean, that's not even a word I really use. I mean, I remember in high school, you used to say, oh, she's so conceited, or he's so conceited. You know, we used to say that all the time. But what does that really mean? When you look at the original language, you see that the word conceit means a vain glorious or empty honor. I love how Tim Keller, an author and pastor, defines it. Listen to this. He says, conceit, it's a deep insecurity, a perceived absence of honor and glory leading to a need to prove worth to ourselves and to others. Did you get that? Lock in on that. It's a deep insecurity, a perceived absence of honor and glory leading to a need to prove worth to ourselves and to others. Conceit is seated in insecurity. Now, we're, we're all insecure. We really are. Even some of the most beautiful, the, the guys with the biggest trucks, yeah, we are all insecure in some way. I'm insecure right now. I mean, standing up here, everyone looking at me and judging what I have on and how I'm speaking and I'm not Brian, you know, all of those things, it can make one in pretty insecure. <laughs> and when we're insecure, we do whatever we can to try to shore things up and to feel secure. And it can present itself in a couple of ways. The first way is a superiority. We begin to believe we're a little better than others. We're superior to others and we want others to know it. And so we begin to to say things and to angle things and to to manipulate things so that others will praise us for how great we are. You meet someone new and you immediately embellish your title and your resume to make you sound a little more important and successful than you are. You ever done that? Or, dare I go here, Facebook. 
Oh, my. It's a great thing. I mean, we, we connect with people and we communicate things, but boy, isn't that a place to brag and boast? <laughs> We've all done it. Let's just face it. I've done it. We post those things on there. We selfies, you know. Why else do we say it? Why else do we do it? Because we want people to look at it and go, girl, you're looking hot today. You are so beautiful. Boy, you are ripped. You are cut up in that beach picture. I'm so jealous that you got to go to Europe for the summer. I was happy with going to LJ, and you went to Europe. You see, here's what happens when we begin to do that, and it says it in this verse. We begin to provoke one another, and what provoking means is we incite a competition. We see what someone else looks like and what someone else is doing, and suddenly we don't feel as good. We become insecure, and we begin to compete, and we try to one-up each other. And it's this whole back and forth of trying to outdo the other person all because of our insecurity, and we all just become conceited. We think we're superior to other people. Another way it can present itself is through inferiority. We feel inferior. We devalue ourselves in some way. Maybe we have a lower self-esteem. But yet we still are conceited. We look at the the guy in the cube who got the promotion and the raise, and we say, yeah, well, he just got that because he's younger, he dresses cooler, the boss just likes him more. I should have got it. It should be mine. And we envy what he has. The ladies say, well, she's going to teach the Bible study. They ask her to do it. You know, she's just in with the staff. She knows the pastor's wife. They don't even know I'm alive. But I should be teaching it. And we envy others, but it's all this cry to receive praise and honor for others to say, no, you are important. You are cool. Don't worry. You, you are beautiful. And we become so insecure, and these insecurities make us cry out to receive the glory and honor that we feel we need so that we can, can feel a little more secure and we become conceited. And that's a problem. It's a problem because... There is a call upon our life. In fact, Galatians speaks to it. Listen to what what Paul says and what what we are called to. It's found in Galatians 5, 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers. That means, you know, no longer living under that legalistic works-based program. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for your flesh to get all the praise and honor of everybody else. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Lock in on this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the problem is when I'm so driven and obsessed with all of my insecurities, trying to get the praise and honor of others, competing with others, then I'm focused on myself. And there is no way when I'm obsessed with myself that I'm going to be able to love others as Jesus has called me, called me to do. There's no way I can love others as I love myself because, in essence, I don't even love myself. I'm just so insecure. It's an issue. And, it, and it'll trip us up as we embrace this freedom, and it will cause us to get off track and miss God's best for our lives. So we need to, to lean into this and understand what we need to do to avoid this conceit in our lives. So everyone listen and be honest with yourself. I tell you, as I've dug into this, it's wrecked me. I mean, it's, it's really made me like evaluate some things in my own life. And, 
and in my interactions with people, and I've realized that I've got some things that I need to work on. I ran across a statement that I think is pretty good. It is basically a, a test, a question that we could ask ourselves to determine whether or not we are struggling with conceit. It's this. When you enter into a room of people, whether it's a, a business meeting, maybe a, a play group, a small group, a Bible study, going into a church facility, uh, no matter what it is, when you go into a room, are you more concerned about how the people in the room will make you feel or are you more concerned about how you will make them feel? Think about that. Are we more concerned about how others are going to make us feel or are we more concerned about how we're going to make them feel? Because all too often we're more concerned about how we're going to feel and that conceit takes over and it causes us to miss the opportunity to, to love others as Christ has called us to love. Paul goes on. In chapter 6, and he gives us some examples of how this can impact our relationships with others and cause us to miss out on so many things. The first thing he looks at and he talks about is in chapter 6, verse 1. He talks about the brother or the sister who is caught in sin. Listen to what he says. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, those who are yielding to the Spirit and walking in the Spirit are not conceited, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So what it's saying here is that we have a responsibility to love others in the sense that we are to go to our brothers and sisters who are in sin and lovingly restore them back to health. Let me unpack this a little bit for you. It's interesting here that he uses the term people who are caught in sin. This is, gives you the impression that he's talking about someone who was surprised by it. That it wasn't, they got up that morning and said, today I'm going to sin, and then they go and sin. This was over a period of time making some decisions and choices and bad um, decisions and choices in their life until they fall into sin and they wake up and they can't believe where they are. And because of that, it's going to take time to heal. The word restore in this passage is referring to a medical term for a broken bone, like healing or setting a broken bone. I broke my leg about probably 16 years ago playing softball, of all things. At least I was safe, I can just say that. And and it required a, a surgery. I had to wear a cast. I was on crutches. I'd had people help carry things for me. I had to have people drive me places. It was a real pain in the leg, and it, was, it was, took time to, to heal that leg and to, to get well. When we restore people, sometimes it takes some spiritual and emotional surgery. Sometimes we have to put a cast on things, put some, some guidelines and some guardrails into our life to keep us on the right path. We need crutches people that we can lean on, and it takes time to heal. And you know, when we are conceited, when we're obsessed with ourselves, we don't have time for all this because it's not for the faint of heart. It takes time and it's ugly and it's messy and a lot of time it's thankless. And, you know, I've been in ministry for 16 years and a lot of times it doesn't work. People flake out on you and they fall back into their sin and you wonder why you wasted your time. And, and, and it's not always a pretty picture. And when we are focused on ourselves, that really does not appeal to us. In fact, When 
conceit is ruling our lives, we probably don't even have a line of sight into people's lives and their struggles and their problems. A lot of times, we're not building the depth of relationships that would even allow us to speak into that person's life. And I've seen this time and again, time and again, you probably can relate to it as well. The person who is conceited, who is so insecure, who is falling back into that legalistic, it's all about performance way of life, they want to point out how bad this person is. They want to exploit this person rather than restore this person. They want to point out how this person got off track and, wow, I would never do that. But you know what? That's why Paul said what he said. He said, be careful and watch yourself that you don't fall into the same sin. He's saying, some of you are conceited, you're insecure, and you think you're above this. Well, let me tell you, it's a, it's a level playing field. And any person out there, you are capable of falling into the same sin if you don't watch yourself. Don't be so conceited to think that you can't. So you see... We can miss the mark. And I love what Psalm 40 says. This is one of my favorite passages. Listen to to what the author says about someone who's been in sin. He says, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God, Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see, the greatest shame, the greatest problem when we are allowing our conceit to rule us and we miss the opportunity to lovingly restore someone else is that others do not see, do not get a picture of the true gospel of Jesus. But when people see that person restored, a new song in their, in their mouth, that they are walking firmly and securely with Jesus, it speaks volumes to our world that Jesus truly who is who he is and that we can be a new creation, that we are not the same. And that is a sad thing when we miss that opportunity because of our insecurity. Paul goes on and he talks about another relational issue that we can often miss when it comes to to reaching out and loving others as ourselves. It's talking about bearing burdens. Here's what it says. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. <laughs> He's basically saying, if, you, if you're conceited, you're deceiving yourself. You're not all that. Just, just get real. He's talking about bearing one another's burdens. The word burden in this passage is referring to a, a heavy weight. Like, not little pebbles, that you're, but a, like a big boulder that you're trying to carry around. And sometimes life really throws us some curves, doesn't it? Sometimes our circumstances and the weight of things in our life just become so heavy that it's hard for us to carry it on our own. And we need someone to come along and, and to help us carry this weight. A little over a year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with, with colon cancer and went through a, a surgery. My wife was eight months pregnant. A lot of you know the story. And in that time, it was a heavy weight to carry physically, emotionally, spiritually. It, it was hard. And people had to come and help us. 
We had people come and, and move furniture around for us, decorate our house for Christmas to bring a little holiday cheer. We had people making meals for us. We had people working in our yard. And I kind of started feeling bad. I was like, man, I can't believe all these people are doing this. And it was very humbling. And, and finally someone said, but Troy, look, we're just doing what we're called to do. We're carrying your burdens. We're helping you through this, this time. We're just being the church. You see, we are called to be spiritual, to be people who are walking in step with the Spirit, who will reach out and identify those burdens, those weights in others' lives. And when we are conceited and we're worried about our own insecurities and trying to get the praise and honor of others, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss the opportunity to help others along. And that misses the mark that God intended for our lives. So with that, I think you can see why Paul said this, why he gives such a warning about being conceited and provoking others in this competition and envying one another, how that, that gets us off track and, and causes us not to serve and love others as God called us to do. So with that being said, we need to deal with it, don't we? We need to figure out how we're going to, to avoid being conceited in our life and, and deal with those insecurities that we have in our life. I love what Paul talks about. If you read on in verse, chapter 6, he says, in verse 4, he says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. You know what he's telling us here? You know what he's saying? He's saying, stop comparing yourself to everybody else. You want to breed insecurity? Compare yourself to someone else. You know, I look in the mirror and think, well, I'm not a bad-looking guy for my age, and I'm a pretty good speaker and musician. And then Stevie Flockhart walks up, and suddenly I'm like, boy, I look pretty bad. <laughs> Scripture is teaching us here that we all have our own load to carry. And when it talks about a load here, it's talking about like a military bag, a backpack. And in this backpack, we all have a unique set of circumstances, a unique set of, of responsibilities that are packed into our back, a unique set uh, of experiences and opportunities, our past, our history, our influences in our life. And they're all packed into our pack, and that is our load to carry. And what Paul is saying is, don't look at everyone else's load. Don't compare your load to everyone else. Just look at your own load. Compare yourself to yourself. Look at your load and how you're managing your load. Are you walking in obedience? Are you walking in integrity are you trusting God? Are you viewing this in light of Scripture and applying it in your life? Evaluate your own load and stop comparing yourself to everyone else because comparison will always breed insecurity. It will always make us more and more insecure and it causes us to become inward, self-focused, and conceited, and we miss what God has called us to. You know, as I've wrestled with this, and looked at this, I think it all boils down really to one thing. And in fact, if you look at the book of Galatians, 
If we truly want to experience freedom in our life, it really comes down to one thing. It comes down to realizing who we really are. Understanding that there is only one thing that defines us, and that is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been in church circles and been to church for a while, and you've probably heard the phrase, your identity is in Christ. It's true. But what I have found in my life, and as I've tried to teach this through the years, is it's one thing to hear that and know that's another thing to get it. At some point in our lives, because these insecurities are so, so strong sometimes, and all the forces and people around us that want to speak into us, and we want to use that to define us, so often it's hard to understand what our identity in Christ really, really means. The truth is this. We really have zero reason to be insecure. Zero reason to be insecure. You know why? Because we are created in the image of God. He has not created you to be insecure, no matter who you are or what you look like. And so I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how can we get it? So I thought about this scenario, and if you would, just go there with me. Imagine this. Imagine you walk into this room. It's a very quiet room, and there's only one light on in the room. One light. And you look in the room, and there's one other person in the room staring right at you. It's Jesus. And Jesus looks you in the eye, and he says, I know you. You look at him, and he says, yeah, I know you. And he calls you by name. He says, I don't just know you, but I know you. I knew you before you were even born. I know the deepest, darkest, ugliest parts of your life. And you know what? I don't care. You know what? I know there are things you hate and you regret about your life. I know you have some hurts and habits and some hangups. But you know what? I knew it all along. That's what I was thinking about when I died. Here's my scars. See it? For real. I died for you. I bled so that you could be forgiven. And you know what? You are forgiven. And you know what? I don't even think about it. I just wish you wouldn't. I've forgotten about it. I know you've been through some hard things. I know life has dealt you some some pretty difficult things. And and people have betrayed you. and, And guess what? I get it. I know what you're talking about. Because I've been through some of the same stuff. People sent me to slaughter. And I had some of my very best friends, people I spent years with and pouring into, investing in, and and they, they stabbed me in the back. I know what it means to hurt, but just listen. I can help you with that. If you'll just hang on, we can redirect some of that stuff. I'll give you a fresh perspective. I'll give you a new identity. And none of that stuff will matter. Just don't even think about it right now. Just look at me. See me here. Because I want you to know, when I look at you, I don't see your past. I don't see a label. You're not a man or woman. You're not white or black. You are are not a a school teacher or a lawyer or, or a repairman. 
You are not just some guy on the street, some, some girl. You are my child. And I want you to know I love you no matter what. There's nothing you can say or do. You can't mess up big enough. You can't be good enough to change the way I feel about you. I already love you as much as I can, and that should change everything in your life. I want so badly to breathe my life into you. If you would just crucify all those factors that you're defining yourself by, just put them to death like I died on the cross and allow me to breathe my life into you. I want to breathe love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and patience and self-control into your life. When I look at you, I don't see ugliness. I see my spirit, and that's what I want others to see through you, and this can happen Hang in there with me. I've got plans for you. You would not believe the things that we could do together. You would not believe the places we could go and the things that could happen in your life if you'll just lean on me and let me define you. Let me define you.